My name is Amy Foster. It's my great privilege to serve on uh, the teaching team this fall. It's something I love doing, but I'm going to let you know when we met over the summer and I got my assignment, you're going to teach a whole lesson on the Proverbs and learning. I thought, really? Am I really going to find enough in there to fill a whole lecture? And then God was so good, as he always does, I went home and I started studying and I started pulling out God's truth and I thought, oh Lord, how will I ever fit it all into one lecture? So when I was driving here this morning, I thought, how good is God to give us wisdom and to give us understanding and to give us this beautiful gift of his word and the assurance that if we will just invest the time, if we will just sit down and focus and concentrate and study his truth, he will give us more than we could ever imagine. As I was driving here, I thought, goodness, 500 women just this morning alone have been pursuing the knowledge of God, pursuing his word, and how amazing is that? So thanks for doing this with me. We're all learning together, and I'm just loving this opportunity. We've been looking at the Proverbs for several weeks now for the uh, purpose of gaining wisdom, gaining the skill we need to live lives of wisdom and discernment um, according to God's knowledge and God's direction. And we've learned a few things I want to review for a minute. We've learned that the Proverbs are not promises, but they're simply guidelines that help us. um, They're guidelines that are good for us to follow, helpful tips based on the way things usually go according to our human nature. They're usually not laws or commands or absolutes, but they're useful tools that help us follow the commands and the absolutes. The most important thing we can know about Proverbs, and it's so important we spent a whole week studying it, is that without first the fear of the Lord, there is no pursuit of wisdom. There is no attaining wisdom and having a life of wisdom if we don't first have the fear of the Lord. Without the fear of the Lord, then following the Proverbs is nothing more than a behavioral system. It's nothing more than a moralistic way of living. And while there's great benefit in living that way, it's really not the way God intended us to live, and it's really not what wisdom is all about. So it begins first with the fear of the Lord. And for me, the fear of the Lord is this awesome respect and awe and reverence and gratitude that compels me to look at the world God's way. And it compels me to be willing to live the way he directs me. It's um, this knowledge of God that comes from living in a personal relationship with him. And that's so compelling, I want to live differently. That has to be in place before we can hope to have lives that reflect wisdom. Anything short of that is just a behavioral model. Anything short of that is just some method that you've put in place for temporary purposes. So God wants something more for us. By God's definition, wisdom is not just having information in your head. Wisdom is doing the right thing with the information he gives us, and that is a skill that he wants to teach us. You know, I thought about um, learning wisdom. Uh, A year or so ago, I had a great opportunity to go spend a week with some friends who live out of town. They've been lifelong friends of mine. What you need to know about me is I'm a baker. I think that in that book, The Love Languages, they left out baking as a love language. I love to bake you cookies and cakes and tarts and brownies, anything with sugar. I love to bake, and I've baked for these friends for many years. So while we were visiting there, my friend came to me and said, my daughter would love for you to teach her how to bake. 
She loves your baking. She wants to learn how. So we set aside an afternoon, and I thought, well, we'll just start with the simple things. You know, I told her baking is really kind of a science. It's important that you follow the instructions. It's important that you're careful with the measurements. So we talked a little bit about there's one set of measurements that you use for liquid things, like milk and melted butter. There's another kind of measurements that you use for solid things, like flour and sugar. It's really important to use the right measuring tool. We talked about using the right flour. Um, we talked about stirring and sifting the flour so it'll be light and your product won't be dense. We talked about just following the rules and following the instructions, and then we set to baking cookies together. I was astounded while we baked these cookies. She didn't do a single thing that I had taught her. She used a liquid measuring cup to measure the sugar. She packed the flour down so tight like it was brown sugar. She didn't follow any of my instructions, and then she shoved those cookies in the oven, and without setting the timer, she ran outside to play with her friends. <clears throat> If she'd been my own child, I would have let the cookies burn. I would have let her learn the lesson that way, but she's not mine, so I chose to give her a little extra grace. I called her in, let her know the timer's about to go off. She delayed. When she finally came in and took the cookies out of the oven, they were overcooked. They were pretty dark brown around the edges. We scooped them off the pan and tasted them together. She was happy. They were dense, hard, crunchy little cookies. And she was happy. She scooped them up in her hands and ran outside to give them to all her friends. And I was confused until it occurred to me she wasn't interested in mastering baking skills. She wasn't interested in learning anything at all. She wanted cookies. That's all she wanted. And what she got was very mediocre cookies. She didn't really want to learn. And as I thought about that, I thought, isn't that sometimes how we approach God and how we approach our spiritual lives? Even in this study of Proverbs, maybe sometimes we don't really want wisdom. We just want a little good advice for how to have good relationships with other people. Maybe we just want a little advice about how to live our lives so we'll stay out of trouble. <clears throat> as we pursue God, Maybe we don't really want to know him all that well. We just want to be sure that our salvation is secured. And I thought, if that's how we're pursuing our life with God, then we're really missing the boat. Um, the ancients really understood that the life of the mind was an important part of our spiritual growth. They knew that all learning, whether it was art or science or math or literature, all learning ultimately ends with God. And I found this beautiful quote by John Milton, a famous author. He said, The end of all learning is to know God, and out of that knowledge to love and imitate Him. That's not mediocre cookies. That's the life God wants for us, and it's a life of transformation. <clears throat> you see, learning and growing in the Christian life is what transforms us and makes us look more like the image of Jesus. So that's why we pursue wisdom, and that's why the Proverbs instruct us to pursue wisdom in your learning and in your thought life. So we don't do this just to modify our behaviors. But we do it to allow God to modify our heart and transform us. And he tells us that when our hearts are fully lined up with his, 
that then we're no longer modifying our behavior. We're behaving from his nature that's coming out of us. And that's a beautiful thing. That's when we're changing from the inside out, from the overflow of our heart. That's when we are able to almost effortlessly act in a million ways demonstrating God's wisdom in our circumstance. That's when we begin to change and live our lives with wisdom. So I think we all know the truth that we all come to a moment in our life when we have to make one big life-changing decision about Jesus. Will we recognize him as our Savior and will we choose to follow him? But if we make that decision, we aren't done. The rest of our lives we will face a million other decisions, multiple decisions every day where we have to choose to follow Jesus, where we prove to the world that we're a new creation living from a new nature. And it's in those small choices that we demonstrate wisdom. It's in the small choices that we make over and over and over again that we show the world we're a new creation. I heard a great line one time. Somebody said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And that really stopped me. I thought, with my life, in these millions of choices and decisions, if I choose wisdom, my life becomes a sermon. And that has a powerful impact in the world. So that's why we pursue wisdom, and that's why we pursue learning. Read with me Proverbs 1, verse 4 through 7. And we're going to be all over Proverbs today. I'm really sorry that the Proverbs don't line all the topics up together. We're going to be flipping back and forth if that stresses you out. Just sit quietly and listen to me read it. Um, We've put all the verses referenced there on your outlines. Proverbs 1, 4 through 7 says, For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. I loved that we got to open this up with this beautiful proverb that says, let the wise add to their learning. I think it's important to pay attention and to know that um, the proverbs tell us a lot about learning, and it's because God expects us to be lifelong learners. He doesn't ever expect us to stop. He expects us to continually add to our learning. And if we remember, the proverbs aren't commands or absolutes. They're tools to help us honor God's commands then we need to think about how do we honor God by learning. Well, if you remember from Deuteronomy 6 on your outline, the command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus altered it a little bit. This is on your verse sheet from Matthew 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So if Jesus has commanded us to love the Lord with all of our mind, then in the Proverbs, we have the tools to honor that command. You see, God's given us a thinking brain that has a phenomenal capacity. And with every good gift, God has an expectation that we will steward that gift well. So he expects us to be continually learning and renewing our minds. And we do this all through our lives And we don't do it to get better behavior. We do it because we know that all learning and all growing takes us back to God and ultimately transforms us from the inside out. So to love the Lord with all your mind means you commit to learning and growing every day until the day that Jesus takes you home. So I want to challenge you with this thought. If you aren't learning and growing, 
then perhaps you aren't living as fully as God intended for you to. Perhaps you aren't stewarding the great gift that he's given you. I want us to be challenged today when we look at this teaching on learning to know that learning is so much more than what you're doing right now. Learning is more than just sitting in a room and taking in information. And God's made that very clear in the study of Proverbs. He expects us to learn and grow, and he gives us the tools here to help us. But he expects us to learn it and apply it to our lives. He expects us to let it alter the millions of choices we make all the time. And he tells us this is how you truly acquire wisdom and you learn and you grow. And here's the really spectacular part. It's not just learning and growing. It's transforming you to the image of Jesus, making you more like Jesus. If you look around at all the options in our world today, there's a lot of behavior modification programs. There's a lot of 10, 12, 15-step programs out there. There are a lot of philosophies that help you change your behavior. There's nothing out there that promises to change you from the inside out, to transform your heart and cause you to act in a new way from the inside out. Only our great and awesome God is offering that. So that's what I want us to think about as we study Proverbs. Well, the first thing I did, I pulled out every proverb that talked about learning or teaching, and I put them all together. And as I looked at them the way I asked you to, one thing was overwhelming. They are all full of action verbs. Learning is an active process. There was not one single proverb about learning that was passive. We love this idea that we could just put a bunch of information on a CD or a tape recorder in the old days and we could play it while we were sleeping and that we would wake up smart, you know, and we wouldn't have to do anything. But it never worked. And I heard something on NPR just last week about that, that they're doing another study. And it didn't work. Nobody learned by doing nothing. And that's what we learn in the Proverbs. From Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Learning requires the full use of all of our senses and all of our abilities. That's first on your outline. It requires that we listen with our ears, that we watch with our eyes, that we use discernment with our minds, that we commit things to our memory, and above all else, that we protect and guard our heart defensively so we aren't deceived into learning something that's untrue or unprofitable. When I started circling all these verbs, I was astounded. Um, we are instructed over and over and over again, actively pursue learning, seek for it, call out for it, like you're pursuing a valuable treasure. And this really made me stop and think about and evaluate, how do I use my time? Because ladies, our time is a commodity. It's a resource. And how we spend it totally reflects what we value. Now, you're all here in the middle of the week pursuing learning more about God, and that shows me that you value learning more about God. But let's really look at the rest of our week. If we add up all of our hours and all of our expended energy, how much of it really goes into this process of learning and growing? <clears throat> Maybe I'm teach preaching to the choir here. I know that's a possibility. Let's look at the best example we have. Let's look at Jesus' life on your verse sheet from Luke 2:52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and he grew in favor with God and man. 
We learn in the Gospels that Jesus grew. That's amazing to me that the holy God-man who existed eternally with God, who possessed and reflected all the fullness of God, that he could learn and grow. That is hard to believe, but the capacity for learning and growth is unlimited. And we know that because we see that even Jesus was growing physically, intellectually, socially, spiritually. Jesus was growing, and that's our example to follow. And his other great example is how did he teach his disciples? How did he expect them to grow? Well, he taught them to use all their senses. He taught them to use all their ability to observe and learn. Think about how he taught. First he went and found them and he said, come follow me. And then he taught them with his teachings and his parables and his words. They used their ears for that. Then he said, come walk along with me. And he healed people and he cared for people and he fed people. And they watched. They used their eyes for that. And then he basically just said, live with me. Hear me, know me, let all that is true and is me come into your being and change you. And then you know what he did? He did what all great teachers do. He said, okay, now go do it. You go do it. Jesus knew that um, we have to put activity behind our learning. We have to practice what we learn. Before we had educational diagnosticians and learning specialists, Jesus knew learning needs to be an active process. We need to be out there practicing what we're learning and being fully engaged in that process. On your outline, uh, we've written Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. I've printed it at the top here, so we're going to make your learning an active process. If you've got a pen or a pencil handy, while I read this, I want you to circle all the verbs, circle all the activity, all the things God is asking you to do here. You ready? Okay. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. If you call out for inside and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What I thought was amazing there, when you're done circling all the things you're supposed to do, cry aloud for it, turn your ear to it, apply your heart to it, then look at what God does. God gives it. God gives wisdom freely as only he can give it. And the great thing there, this is a pattern that is very consistent when you look at our relationship with God. God has what only God can give, and he gives it freely when we pursue it. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture. God says, if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. It's this pattern of God responding to our actively searching, and he does that with learning. So when I thought about our application for this, I realized learning just doesn't come from simply reading my Bible or listening to people teach. Learning is also watching all the good examples around me, all the people who make those million wise choices every day, Watch them, remember it, learn from them, store it up in your heart as a resource, just like you do these resources. It's why we teach our children these Bible stories about the heroes of faith. We need to know them also. We need to read the great biographies of our missionaries and our our modern-day heroes of faith and store up their stories. Learn from people who are serving and loving God well. Proverbs 24, 32 says, I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. 
So you see, we're supposed to use all of our senses and all of our abilities to be learning all the time, lifelong learning. And there's great benefit for us. Learning provides for our needs today, and learning provides for our needs in the future. So many of these Proverbs used the direction to store up knowledge, store up my commands. Proverbs 10:14 says, wise men store up knowledge. Some say, keep these words within your heart. The word for store up here, I loved learning this. It's an agricultural term. It means when you harvest your crops, you set some aside for a later time. You store it up because you're going to need it later. It's like putting the potatoes in the root cellar or putting the extra grain in the silo because you know you're going to need it at a later time and it's going to sustain you at a later time. Isn't that true? When God gives us his truth and his knowledge and we hold on to it, we have confidence that it will be there for us at a later time. Read with me Proverbs 22, beginning in verse 17. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have them ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord I teach you today, even you. Have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words, so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you? Wow, there's so much in this. I love that it says it's pleasing when you have God's truth ready on your lips. And what I thought was so important here, it says it helps you trust the Lord. It helps you trust him when you know his truth in advance. It helps you trust him when you know you have things stored up in your heart that are going to be useful and are going to sustain you at a time when you need them. It reminded me of the beautiful old hymn we sing about God's faithfulness that says it's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And that's what learning affords us, strength for today and trust that God has what we need in the future also. Because he intends for us to be lifelong learners because he knows it'll have a benefit in our present and in our future. None of these proverbs say for a little while, just a little effort, just for a short period of time. None of them say that. They're all this continuing process. And again, if we look to teaching examples and and learning examples in the New Testament, there's no example of the apostles going out to a city and doing a survey and saying, oh, they've already heard the gospel. They don't need to know anything else here. They They didn't do that. They would go and they would continue to teach. And it's just like these letters, these epistles we have. Nowhere does it say, oh, your your salvation is secure. You don't need to know anymore. All through the New Testament, we're encouraged, press on, learn more, grow more. I didn't include this on your verse sheet. There's this great verse in in 1 Peter where he says, hey, I know Paul's writings are really hard to understand. Struggle with them. Learn them. We are encouraged through the Proverbs and all through the New Testament to keep learning forever. If I think about this in my own life, I hope I'm going to be the little old curly-haired lady who sits down beside you and says, tell me what you're reading. Tell me what you're learning. Tell me how you're growing. And then I'll tell you what God is doing in me. We're supposed to be learning all the time. When I compiled every single proverb I could find about teaching and learning, there was a powerful consistency, um, and it was one that I wasn't real happy to find. Of the 75 proverbs I found that all related to teaching and learning, A third of them talked about learning from correction, rebuke, or discipline. 
Ugh, who wants to learn that way? I know my kids don't want to learn that way. I don't like learning that way. But I have to trust if the Proverbs are God's tools for me to learn. And a third of his tools of learning talk about learning from correction and discipline and rebuke. Wow, that must be a great tool. So to really live with wisdom and to be a lifelong learner, it requires humility. That's next on your outline. Humility required if this were a job description. I worked for several years at a school. It was my job to be the liaison to the community, to represent that school everywhere I went, to meet with people who came in to visit the school. Basically, I was supposed to be the expert on the school. The very first week in my job, a woman scheduled an appointment to come meet with me. She was looking at our school for some family members of hers. I made the mistake of expecting her to ask the standard questions a parent would ask, and I prepared for the meeting in that way. She came. She blew me away with the questions that she asked. She asked questions I could never answer. She asked about in-depth teaching philosophies, pedagogies, paradigms. She asked about subtle nuances, comparing one curriculum to another. I needed a dictionary to even figure out what she was asking, let alone to come up with an answer for her. I failed miserably in my meeting with her. I didn't represent my school well or serve them well. And this woman allowed me to feel the full weight of my ignorance. In my defense, I learned later she wasn't just a parent. She was a career educator. She was a woman who had single-handedly, successfully developed, established, and uh, created a very successful school in another city of the same kind of philosophy. So really, I went toe-to-toe with a superhero. I still failed, but uh, she, she was quite the superhero. She was not impressed with me. My pride and my ego was bruised more than anything else. So I moped back into my office, and I just nursed my wounds for a little while, and then I got mad. And I got out my pen and my paper, and I started making a list of all the questions I couldn't answer, and all the words that I didn't even know what they meant. And I started picking out the career lifelong educators at my school and going to them and saying, do you know this? Do you have the answer to this? Can you teach me this? And I learned it. It was a hard experience, but about seven years later, as I was wrapping up my time at the school, one of my dear teacher friends asked me, what are your top learning experiences from your time here? Isn't that a great teacher question? You know, the very first thing that popped into my mind? It was that miserable failure I learned from the failure. So, the moral of the story, humility is always required to be a learner. I'm going to read from Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Instead, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will grow wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Remember, we've already seen that before. We're supposed to add to our learning. So humility is required to learn from correction and rebuke. If you studied the behavioral sciences at all, you know there was a famous psychologist named Maslow, and he was kind of the first one who said there are stages to learning. 
And you have to go through each stage to be successful at learning. The first stage is unconscious incompetence. That's like little children. We don't know anything, and we don't know that we don't know anything. So we're not bothered by that at all. But the second stage of learning is conscious incompetence. That means we know we don't know something. We are aware of our need to know something. And that stage is required to learn anything new. You move on through this stage of barely being competent, and then the last stage is unconscious incompetence. You know it so well, you're so good at it, you don't even have to think about it. But that second stage, I think, is the most important, recognizing our incompetence. It's important in spiritual growth, but it's vital even to have a spiritual life at all. When you think about it, we are all blissfully aware of our need for a Savior. We are very happy in our sin until one day the Holy Spirit convicts us, you're sinful, you're wretched, you look terrible next to a holy, righteous God. You can never clean yourself up enough for Him. It's only when we recognize our incompetence before God that we can receive Jesus' redeeming love, his redeeming work on the cross. And it's the same way with our learning and growing. It's only when we recognize that we're incompetent and there are things we need to learn that we can grow. So humility is required. If you don't have a humble, teachable spirit, I don't think you can learn. Not the kind of learning that enters your heart and changes you from the inside out. Maybe you can master a behavior for a little while, but you can't learn God's way, the heart transformation way that makes you look more like Jesus. That's the kind of growth and learning God wants for you, but you have to be humble and recognize your own incompetence. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. It certainly hurts our pride and our ego when someone corrects us. Um, But pride and ego aren't the things that we need to protect and defend. If our spirit is humble, we can look past our embarrassment and our hurt pride. And we can learn from it if we know that love is the motivator. If love is the motivator and our growth is the goal, then we can learn from correction. And that's exactly how Jesus corrected the people that he had to correct and rebuke. I asked you to look at some passages in your homework where we see Jesus teaching this way, through correction, through rebuke. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to read all of those just to save a little time, so let me paraphrase. I asked you to read out of Luke 10, and this was the famous passage as women. We're all familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. They were friends of Jesus. He went to visit their home, and Martha was busy probably cooking and cleaning and making sure everything practically was right for Jesus' visit. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, learning from him. And Martha gets mad and she grumbles and she goes to Jesus and says, do something about this. Make her get up and help me. And Jesus rebukes her very gently and kindly. Listen to how he answers. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's a correction and a rebuke, but can't you hear the gentleness and the love in his voice? And when you look at his words, he doesn't want her to be worried or bothered. That's his love for her. He's correcting her because of his love for her. He wants something more. He doesn't want her worried and bothered. He wants her to grow. He wants her to sit at his feet and learn. 
So love is his motivator and growth is his goal. If she has a humble spirit, which she does because we see a real change in her heart later in the Gospels, she can learn and grow from that correction. There's another one I asked you to look up. This comes in Matthew 26. And again, I'm just going to paraphrase to save a little time for us. Um, This is the night before the night that Jesus is arrested. And Jesus takes his disciples out into the garden and he asks them to pray with me. Stay awake and pray with me. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows their worlds are about to really be rocked. He's about to be arrested and tried and crucified. He knows the disciples are going to run scared. So he asks them to stay awake and pray with him. They fail him several times. They fall asleep. He corrects and he rebukes, listens to what he says. Um, This is Matthew 26, verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You see, it's his love for them that is compelling him to correction and to rebuke. He knows their weak frame. He knows they'll want to defend him, but in actuality, in their weakness, they're all going to run away um, afraid. He knows that the only thing that will strengthen them and prepare them for the difficult thing to come is prayer. So he corrects them. And we hear his correction is a little more stern than the words he uses with Martha. But we still know that love is what's motivating him. He wants what's best for them. He wants them shored up and strengthened for a difficult thing that's to come. And so he corrects them and he rebukes them. Again, love is his motivator and growth is the goal. And you know, sometimes people will rebuke us And sometimes love is not their motivator. And sometimes their growth is not their goal. We're all sinful. And sometimes that's about our own pride and our own way. But I think the important thing to remember, God has allowed those words to be spoken. And so we can learn something from that. God allowed those words to be spoken to you. And God's motivation is always love. And it's always your growth. God is always working to bring about what's best and what transforms you to the image of Jesus. So even when the rebuke and the correction is sinful or difficult or not motivated by love, we can, in humility, learn from that. Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. So the Proverbs show us we can learn from correction and we can learn from discipline. And I think even here there's an application for teaching others. And I'm not just talking to the professional teachers in the group. We're all called to live in community together, to be in small groups together, to be the body of Christ together. And in that community, we all have teaching opportunities. We do. Um, The teaching application here, I think, is don't shy away from honest correction. It's a cautious and a careful thing. You should do it carefully. You should do it prayerfully. We could teach a whole lesson on how to do that, but we don't have time for that today. But I think if love is your motivator, you can consider honest, gentle correction in the life of someone else. So the caution there, check your motivation. Are you doing this out of love? The second caution, examine your own life. Is there any sin and disbelief you need to deal with there? But among believers who are committed to learning and growing and becoming more like Jesus, there is a place for loving correction. You know, an expression we hear all the time here at Christ Chapel says, people grow best in small groups. In a small, loving, safe environment, 
there should be a place for us to lovingly correct and rebuke and to be iron, sharpening iron. That's an important thing for us to consider. What kind of friend are we in terms of speaking loving words of rebuke and correction? The contrast to that is something that I've seen play out. I've watched people enter sinful behaviors, pursue sinful lifestyle, and I've watched heartbroken as their best friends were not willing to come alongside them and say, this is wrong, this is not what God wants for you, please come back. That's not what we want and that's not how we're called to live together. Let's see, Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. Proverbs 25.12, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Proverbs 28.23, he who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. This made me think, do I want friends who flatter and indulge me or do I want friends who will call me back to a life of growing and learning and becoming more like my Savior? James 5.20 on your verse sheet. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's a place in our community for correction and rebuke, but it requires humility, both on the giving and the receiving end, for this to be a great teaching tool. The last thing I learned as I looked at all these proverbs together, I kept looking at the verbs and I kept realizing some of these verbs are vague. I don't really know that I'm sure what it means to apply, to heed, to make use of, um, to keep, to walk in this way. And I thought I'd just gloss over those words because I've read these so many times. I want to know what they mean. So I got out my Bible dictionary. I looked some of these up. And some of these definitions I thought were so important, I included them on your outline. Apply to make practical and active use of. That doesn't mean just activity that's happening here in my brain. To make active use of. Keep to have or maintain for continued use. Wow, that's not just my thought life it's talking about here. That's my actions. As I considered these verbs, it became clear to me. Um, They all suggest actively doing something. And when it says walk in my ways, walk in the Bible usually means all the activity of your spiritual life. So these words are talking about real activity. They're not talking about just things that are stored up here in my head. And when we really think about what is wisdom, it's doing the right thing with God's truth. That's action, isn't it? You know, our our Bibles are written from an ancient translation, and in, in the Proverbs, there are four different words that all mean wisdom, but they all are nuanced and, and have slightly different meanings attached to them, significance attached to their meanings. The word that is used over and over in these verses about learning, the word for wisdom, means being knowledgeable and experienced in following God's way. So it's not just having it up here, it's doing something with it. So all these verbs are about active use, and wisdom is about actively doing things based on what you know. This led me to the last conclusion. Again, if this read like a job description that said lifelong learning required, activity required, humility required, at this point it would say experience required. Activity is required here. Learning comes from doing. 
Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about past experience. I'm talking about present and ongoing experience. I'm saying we need to be actively doing the things that we're learning. And when Proverbs just describes learning, it doesn't describe it with something that stops and rests and stays right here in your head. It describes it as something that enters your heart and changes you and is reflected in the way you behave. It's a very experiential kind of thing. Listen to Proverbs 23:12. Apply your heart to instruction. And remember, apply means active use. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. In Proverbs 24:32, I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. If applied means actively using, it means what I learn, I turn around and I do. I do it. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so don't forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me. He said, lay hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Keep my commands. Apply. Make active use of. It's talking about active obedience. It's making this the last stage of learning is active obedience. You know, Jesus said it best. I had you look at this in your um, study questions. In Luke 6, when Jesus is really talking about what it is to learn and to do and to be his disciple. Let's look at what he says. Luke, excuse me, Luke 6, 46. Jesus answers, and again, remember, Jesus teaches by correction and rebuke. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do what I say? I'll show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my voice and does not put my words into practice, he's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Well, I think that's really interesting that Jesus links hearing and doing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If Jesus links hearing and doing, and the Proverbs link knowledge and experience, then we need to take away from that, and it's we're supposed to be doing something with the knowledge that we gain. James exhorts us, um, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. True learning comes when we take the truths that God has given us, we bring them into our heart and mind, they change us, and then we demonstrate evidence of that change by acting on that truth. It's knowledge and experience. And again, think about how Jesus taught, come follow me, learn from me, now go do. Go do, go out, preach, heal, feed my sheep. That's exactly how Jesus taught. I just finished reading a book on teaching. It was written by Howard Hendricks, who's a a renowned professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's probably been teaching for 50 years, and he teaches in the seminary, so he's teaching these bright minds who have lots of years of education under their belt. But I want you to listen to what he says about a true learner. And I'm quoting him. Many people who never sit inside a college classroom are brilliantly educated. They are men and women of wisdom, and they have received and they are receiving an education. They may not know everything, but what they know, they live. 
And God is using them as his instruments to accomplish his purpose. Oh, I loved that. What they know, they live. That's what makes us wise. That's the kind of learner that the Proverbs is talking about. People who take what God has given them, what they are learning, how they are growing, and they let it um, show in their lives. So what about you? If this is God's definition of a learner, are you a learner? Are you living out what you're learning, or are you letting it sit here in your head and not change you? If it's sitting here in your head, you're like that little girl who settles for mediocre cookies. And that's really not the life that God wants for you. That's a behavioralistic, uh, you know, behavior mod, moralistic framework for your life. That's not what God wants for you. He's offering you a transformational way of living. And it's full of growth, and it's full of learning, and it's directed with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. So all through the Proverbs we see this learning is not a passive process. It begins with that true heart change when you ask Jesus to be your Savior and have a personal experience with him. And from that experience, the reverence and the awe and the gratitude for God, it compels you to know more and to learn more. It requires activity and work and practice. It requires humility. It requires applying the things you know. And nothing there looks like just having a lot of information in your head. Nothing there looks like gaining a bunch of information but never being transformed by that process. Because it's not a behavioral system. It's a transformed life. And God gives it all to us freely. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. He gives us discernment. But he does it in this cooperative way as a result of our activity, as a result of our humbly walking in his way, applying what we learn, storing it up in our minds, guarding it in our hearts. He has created each one of us with this remarkable capacity to constantly grow and mature and learn, all with the goal of living wisely because we love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. I think this is a great challenge to us. You know, I had an opportunity this summer to travel somewhere where people don't have opportunities to learn and grow spiritual things the way we do. And I came home thinking, wow, this is a gift. How do I steward this gift? You know, we're sitting in a church on a Thursday. It's not even Sunday, and we get to come here and learn and grow. We have opportunities all around us. We can sit down at our computers and download the most famous preachers and their sermons from antiquity and from modern day. We can access all of that great teaching. We can go to weekend-long conferences. We can sit through retreats. We can do all these things that fill our head with information. But if we don't let it move from our head to our heart, if we don't put it into practice in our lives, then we haven't really learned it. It's just something that's sitting here like all our great facts and our great theology. So our learning should transform us. It should change the way we live. It should make us more like Jesus. That's what we learn in the Proverbs, and that's what we see even when we look at Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. So again, I want you to ask yourself some questions. If this is what learning looks like, if this is what loving the Lord with all your mind looks like, are you a learner? Can you be real specific about something that you've learned in the last days or weeks that's changing you? Is there a way that your activities are changing because you're doing something with what you're learning? And if your answer is yes, then your life is the sermon that people want to see. Your life shows wisdom. If your answer is no, 
God's created you with this capacity to learn and grow, and it's your job to wise up and to love the Lord with all your mind. From Ephesians 4:22, this is on your verse sheet. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When I read that, I thought, oh, that's where John Milton got it. He was paraphrasing Paul when he said, all learning takes us back to God. All learning is renewing our minds, and it leads us back to God, and if we'll let it, it can transform us and make us look more like Jesus. That's what we were created for. That's what we were redeemed for, and that's how the Proverbs instruct us to go and live. So that's my challenge to you today. Let's live the way God wants us to live and learn the way God wants us to learn. Thanks so much. Let me pray for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for giving us the gift of your word and thank you for the promise that if we apply effort and diligence that your word doesn't come back empty, Lord, that you'll teach us, that you give us wisdom, that you give us understanding. How do we even say thank you for that? How do we thank you for offering to transform our lives, to take us from a place of total incompetence where we stand before you sinful and removed, and you offer to bring us into fellowship. Our, our words of thanks seem inadequate, but we thank you just the same. We thank you for transforming our lives, for approaching us with love, for giving us minds that can learn and grow and know more about you. My prayer is that we would respond with hearts that want to know you more, want to fear you more, that our lives can reflect who you are and your ability to transform us. And my prayers that we do this not out of pride or conceit or selfish desires, Lord, that we, we do this because it makes you look so good and so mighty and so powerful. My prayers that we would learn and grow and become wise and that our lives would be the sermon that other people want to see. And I pray that we do this, Lord, for your glory, for the sake of your name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.